We're continuing our series, uh, Words to Live By. And as I said, I think last week when I stood up here and introduced this, this is a sermon series that will speak into every area of our life, every corner of our life. And this week it speaks into a corner of, I think, all of our lives, definitely my life. The subject is... The subject is worry. We're going to talk about worry. I think it's fair to say. I think at different parts of history, we've we've always had lots to worry about. But I think over the last few years, we can take an exhale and say we've had more than our share of things to worry about. A global pandemic. Just the title that we've given this thing that none of us could see and we could sort of pass it on to each other and we knew how much damage it could cause us at different times. Just the, just the title of it, having that over us, even now, generates so much worry for us. that The war over in Ukraine, which I don't know how many thousands of miles it is, but it, it feels, I don't know, I think it was when the talk of the nuclear word that the news started regaling or I started reading in the newspapers, that sort of grabbed hold of me. It felt... It feels closer, this one. feels like that. It feels like it sort of hangs over us, ling- lingers over us. The, f- the next one, the winter of, um, yeah, it's the terminology that we use. I don't think it helps with the worries, the financial crisis. Um, and I've, I feel robust. I feel like I'm going to be all right. But I'm, I'm certain for a lot of people, this is going to be, this will be a real a real worry. I had a little look at some stats and I chose stats that were harrowing enough just to keep you engaged. Not, not as harrowing as they were, but harrowing enough to keep you engaged. So apparently, anxiety statistics, 8 million people in the UK, don't know if that's like a sixth of us or something like that, something like that, will experience like pretty serious anxiety at some point in their lives. Uh, 9.4% this is, the one, this is the one that really stopped me in my tracks a little bit because I don't remember this when I was younger. Age 3 to 17-year-olds, just under 10% get... I'd been diagnosed... I don't know if I even believe it. I diagnosed with some kind of anxiety situation, some anxiety struggle, and it's on the increase. I don't think with anxiety that in our however many thousands of years we've had civilizations that we've ever been as aware of the damage of anxiety, of worry. I don't think we've ever, no, we, we know more about it just now than we've ever done. I think we know about the way that we can't just fob it off. We know that some people are more vulnerable to it than others. We know that for some people it's going to be a real struggle. We know of the way that it can incapacitate us. It can take us out of the game. We know a little bit more now, and I'm going to speak in real layman's terms, of the way that it and this is how it was explained to me, that it can sort of tip the chemicals in our heads. Mick is really sick. We know of the impact of worry. And I, I would say, looking on, I don't think we're getting out of it anytime soon. Don't know that we're stuck in it, but I don't think that we're getting out of it anytime soon. One of the stats that I read was that the countries with the most help, the most um, capacity, the most money, The most insight on this, those countries are the most worried. Those countries are the most worried. I don't think it's something that we're going to 
think or progress our way through anytime soon. We are living, and I've heard podcast after, and I don't, I'm not trying to fuel the fire like I'm trying to draw our attention to it. We're living in, it's shaky, isn't it? Shaky times, people have got real worries, real concerns. And yet, did you read through the text? Do you know what the most um, persistent refrain in the Bible is? So John Stott and a few other theologians that I read said, the thing that God says most to us through his word, man, check it out if you want afterwards, it is, don't worry. Don't worry. I think that sometimes holding that don't worry in mind. Sometimes our don't worries can be a little bit glib, can't they? Have you ever given a glib? Ah, don't worry, it'll be all right. I got one at the dentist a few months ago. It was a very glib, don't worry. The dentist looked down at me and he was pulling one of my teeth out. And as I looked up at him and I saw my blood on on his finger, he said to me, don't worry. He said it again as he went back to change his ridiculously oversized tool. He came back, look, and I saw him look panicked over at the helper, and he came back with an even bigger set of pliers, said it again. Don't worry, I wanted to say, of course I'm worried. Every inch in my body is worried at, the most, at, this, at this moment in time. When I, when I was studying for this message, I had five live on in the background, and I had this, God says to us more than he says anything else, don't worry. The news was a phone-in, about people struggling in light of the financial crisis with worry. Person after person after person looking at their next couple of months and they were worried sick. And as I absorbed what God was saying, as I, as I like put the two things together, God saying don't worry and the reality of it, I thought, can God say that? How do we feel about a God, God for whom things are all right? Says to us, don't worry. Jesus says to us, don't worry. Is there, like, what do we do with that? How can we receive that? Given how much stuff we've got to worry about, who in your life can say to you, don't worry, and it carries some weight when you're worried? Now, I've got, I need to do the confession here on this one. And people that, some of you know me better than others, but you'll know, and it's, like, I'm not trying to glory in it, but it's to be said, this is something that I, I struggle with. I have struggled with in my life, anxiety. Like in a, sometimes up and down, sometimes in varying degrees, but sometimes, and a couple of years ago, and some of you will know this, in a really kind of, it knocked me socks off. Like it took me out of the game. It had a, a grip on me. Couldn't think straight. Couldn't do my job. And I figured out in that time that there is, a voice that can speak into that. There were different types of people speaking to me. Um, there were, church was really lovely. I've never really said thank you in public. Church was so lovely. I had some lovely people come around with love and say, are you all right? Are you doing okay? And I had other people speak to me with a bit of a medical background saying, it's like this and it's like this and it's like this. And they, they were really, really helpful things. But you see, when somebody came to me, somebody who knew the medical things, somebody who knew what it was like to have anxiety, when they came, and didn't just give me information, but when they came with, with love, when those two things came together, and I were in a pretty, I were in a sticky spot, I'll be honest. Those few people that had that combination, they really loved me, they knew exactly what I was going through, 
That was what got through to me. So I want to tell you about the, the man, the God, who says to us, don't worry. And I'm going to do two things. I'm going to tell you about his logic and his reasoning, what he knows, and I'm going to tell you about what he's like, his nature, and those two things. So the first thing I want to tell you, and it's in verse 25. So there's, there's three things I think I took out of the passage um, of, of reasons, logic that we can take of why we shouldn't worry. And I want us to sort of just absorb the logic uh, that Jesus gives. Um, so the first one is, let me read out verse 25 to you. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? First point, you worry less when you remember that there's more to life. You worry less when you remember that there is more to life. The therefore in this, so if you do any sort of Bible study, if you ever come across a therefore, you ask, and this is kind of an old preachery kind of thing to say, you ask what it's there for. And it's therefore to remind us that this is not a new thing that Jesus is saying. Jesus is building on something that he's already said. So we've got to ask ourselves what was said. And what was said was what Matteo said last week. If you can remember back to his sermon, if you can't remember back to his sermon, I'll kind of rephrase it now or you can listen back. He was talking to us and he was suggesting that worries come when we get stuff out of order. Jesus isn't beating up on, he's not giving us an empty don't worry and he's not beating up on legitimate concerns that we might have. He's not just speaking into, he's not just speaking upon concerns that are real in our lives. He's talking about when people get things out of order, when we put things out of order. So last week, we learned about our habit of treasuring the wrong stuff. Do you remember any of the sermon? I think Matteo was referencing strongly money. We treasure the wrong stuff. Something that's a good thing, a legitimate thing, a necessary thing. And I think he gave the example of, of parents looking to do good things with their money, to create a, a sustainable family, to provide for their kids. But he, he said, when, when something that is a good thing, money, a legitimate good thing, becomes like a really ultimate thing. And that's what often happens, isn't it, with money. We set off down the road of, I'm going to provide going to get the nice house and it's all in a good cause but soon somewhere out of out of nowhere often it can jump to become an ultimate thing and when it becomes an ultimate thing when having the big house or having the money is all that we've got our eyes on that's when we start falling out that's when we start losing our way that's when we start worrying some of our worries come jesus says because we've took our eyes off what's really important We've, we've forgotten, as it says in verse 25, we've forgotten that there's more. We've started thinking that this is all that there is. And Jesus says to us, we don't worry, he's saying to the people on the, on, on the mountain, you don't need to worry because you've learned this. This is one of the pennies that has dropped for you. You've seen that there's more. You've seen that there's more out there. You've started thinking about eternity. You've started thinking about values. You've started thinking about morality. You've started thinking about God. You've seen that there's more. That's dropped for you, that penny. We don't worry. We worry less when we remember that there's more. 
This is not all that there is. That's the first point. Second point is, and it's in verse 27, we worry less. And this is like proper, gritty, earthy, common sense. Jesus speaks with real, and this, this as I prep for this this week, as a worrier, and I'm so glad, um, so glad I'm preaching to you and not to my wife in this sense because she knows me better than anybody else. This sort of unpacked me. It sort of revealed exactly. It was sore for me. And it, like, if you're a worrier too, you might relate to some of this stuff. Real common sense. Jesus says to us, verse 27, can any of you, by worrying, and Jeff paused as he read this out for impact, add a single hour to your life. Earlier translations talked about an extra cubit of height. I think that was kind of a literal translation. I think it's what it's getting at is can we get, can we get, I think the, the accurate translation would be can we go further down the road by worrying? Can we add an hour to our lives? Can we have, add a cubit to our height? Can we add something to our life by worrying? Um, so I read a little bit about this, what we expect as a worrier. And psychologists say that people worry so the first, one does, first one's not really me, second one's me. First one might be you. Why do we worry? Why do we take ourselves down this road? First, thing, first reason we do it, psychologists say, these are two main reasons. We worry to soften the landing. We think, that, we think that by frantic thoughts, by holding it in there, whatever news is coming our way, will prepare a softer landing for it. That's the first reason that we worry. Second reason that we worry is, we think we might, and this is, this is my one, it's awful. It drives me mad that I've been captive to this. We think that in our franticness, we think that by holding these thoughts in our heads, we might actually come up with the right thing. We might come up with something in our worry. Have you ever worried like that? Something that we're going to miss by relaxing or thinking logically, we'll get to by letting it spin round in our heads frantically. Jesus says, who by worrying can add a single day to their lives. As a worrier, I can confess to you, and I, I'd be interested to know how many, how many hours you've spent worrying, and I'd hate to confess how many hours I've spent worrying, but in all of those, in all of those times, I have never once, through worry, softened a landing. I have never. I have never come up with one single good thing. I've never spent time dwelling on a bad thing. And at the end of it, as it's percolated around my head and I've sweated over it and I've held it really closely, I've never thought, hang on, this is the way that I can cope with this thing. In fact, it's always made things worse. It's always made things tougher. You worry less when you learn that worrying is counterproductive. And the last thing that Jesus says to us, and I think probably the main, main thing, and it's a bit of a chunk of the passage, so I'll read it out to you again to refresh your memory. Verse 26, and it kind of goes through to the end of the passage. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not, are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying at a single hour to your life and why do you worry about clothes see how the flowers of the fields grow they don't labor or spin yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these if that's how God clothes the grass of the field 
which is here today and gone tomorrow, is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So, don't worry. God says to us finally, you worry less when you remember the way and the fact that God provides. Don't know if you're familiar with the language of Jehovah Jireh. One of the ways that we know God is as the provider. The provider, the provider. The provider of all things. Jesus is on this mountain and he looks out and he sees people as he sees us. People who are going to have genuine concerns. Real problems, stuff that you can't just pass up. And he says to them, all right, I see you with your concerns. Do not forget in those worries the fact that I am the provider. And he gives some beautiful pictures. He sort of plays with the fact that we worry and we store up our stuff. It's a really beautiful picture. He says, consider the birds. You can almost imagine Jesus taking the opportunity as a bird flies past. He says, look at these birds. Think about the way that we store up stuff, thinking that that's going to resolve all of our problems and ease all of our worries. Look at the birds. They just, they've got no pension plan. They live in a few twigs in, the, in a tree. And they bob down and get takeaway, whatever they want. Look at the birds. See the way that I provide for them. Then he draws our eye really beautifully, I think, to this idea of a beautiful flower. And he draws our attention to Solomon. I guess if he's talking about Solomon, Jesus is just referencing the most fantastic, imaginable looking human being, I guess, to the, to the audience that were in front of him. You can imagine sort of somebody with real wealth who dressed and looked like Harry Styles and who had Einstein's brains and you've got somebody like Solomon, somebody, you know, just a magnificent looking fella. And Jesus says, yeah, even a flower, and all a flower does is grow up out of the mud. But we all know what this is like. When we see a beautiful flower, even like a 43-year-old, very regular guy, it can catch his eye and you go, oh man, that is beautiful. It's just stunning. And it gets thrown away into the fire and it comes to nothing. And yet, for a season, man, it's gorgeous. And Jesus says, how much more am I going to look after you? How much more am I going to have to look after you. We get to thinking, I think, and probably rightly so in some respects, that everything depends on us. You ever felt that? If I, I get like that, if I don't do this and I don't do that, if we don't do this or we don't do that, and I think in some respects we have got, we've got to be active. There are things that depend on us, but Jesus speaks to us and the people on the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, yeah, you're involved in this story. You're part of this story. You're part of the creation. You've got to do stuff. But do not forget. Do not forget that I am the provider. Um, I'm moved. I am moved by our environmental plight at the moment. I'm moved to act. I'm moved to do my bit of recycling. I'm moved. I think, we're, I think we've got to act. I love that we're doing that. I like to see it. It's good. We've got to do something. We are worried about it. And we're acting on it. We're going to try and save this planet. And we're trying to think of all the amazing ways and things that we can do. And there's lots of things that we can do. One of the things that blew my mind in lockdown 
was when we all just stopped. Did you see any of the pictures of the Grand Canal in Venice? Did you see how it just restored? Did you see the pictures of um, wildlife returning to its natural habitat? We didn't come up with anything amazing, and it's good that we do, and we should try and do that. God just, what? Just provided. In the middle of lockdown, as I was thinking about this, I was watching a documentary on Chernobyl, you know, the area um, that's, you know, been obliterated by the nuclear disaster, and yet it was Ben Fogel's documentary, I think, who did it. He's walking around, and the place is just, like, flourishing because there's nobody there. Jesus says to us, Yeah, you've got worries. But you will worry less if you can remember who is the provider and sustainer. So the three things Jesus says to us. You worry less. You worry is counterproductive. You worry less when you realize that. You worry less when you remember that God provides. And you worry less. Forgotten it. You worry less when you remember that there's more to life. You worry less if you can do all these things. Here's the thing. As a worrier, and I'm looking around, if the statistics are anything to go by, I'm not on my own with the worrying. It's likely, as soon as I've finished, I'll worry about something that I have said (laughs) till I fall asleep tonight. You idiot, Ash. Why did, what was that? Harry, did you say Harry Styles? Where the heck did that come from? What's that about? I'll worry about it, or I'll worry about something else. It's not unlikely, given my um, natural disposition, that worry will take over again for me down the line. I, hope, I really hope it doesn't. It were horrible. But it could, and it could for you. Worry could come over us again. I believe, I am convicted, that the gospel speaks real hope, probably the only real hope for the worrier. Because it doesn't just give us Three bits of logic, even though those three bits of logic, they are good bits of logic. The gospel story isn't just logic. It's logic and it's a person. It's a person who's been through everything that we could possibly go through. So I'm going to wrap up. The last couple of verses, I think, show us the heart of the person that told us not to worry. The nature of the person that told us not to worry. Verse 34, and I... I think I'm, I'm sharing this verse. It's not exactly what I'm trying to say, but when I read this verse, I felt like I, in all the passage, I saw, I got a glimpse of Jesus. I could sort of see him. It was like when part in the movie when the character sort of comes out and you sort of see, oh, you're like, oh yeah, he's like that. That's, that's what he's like. Verse 34 says, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will have enough worries in and of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. It's like I got to see the fact that God, Jesus, was in and amongst it. He's eyeball people that's been in real worrying situations. He knows what it's like. He doesn't give an empty, we don't have to worry about this. Don't worry. He's not telling us off. He's saying to us, man, this is hard. Man, this is hard. Look, look, guys, just let me give it to you like this. Try not to worry about tomorrow. Today's got enough going on. We get to see his heart in these last couple of verses. We get to see it more than anywhere else, I think, in verse 31 and 32. Don't worry, he says, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? The pagans run after all these things. 
Get this bit. And your heavenly Father, He knows that you need them. He looks at us and He knows. And you say to yourself, really? How does He know? And so I want to share with you verses. I don't want to be too dramatic and say that they literally saved me, but these were verses that were beautiful for me to hear when I was really, really worried and really, really wondering if God could know what I was going through or what any of us are going through because we've all got our worries. The Bible reminds us that he knows God Almighty because of the story of Jesus. This is our gospel hope. He knows exactly, like exactly how it feels to be us. I don't think there's a more um, poignant place in the Bible uh, than in the end of Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter uh, Matthew chapter 26. Jesus is in, is, this, is, this is as he's been captured and crucifixion is before him. And he's, he's on his way to the cross and he knows that that's coming. And he sees that in front of him. And he goes off to the Mount of Olives to try and pray with his disciples. And he says in verse 38, and listen to some of the language that he uses and think about the language Jeff said earlier. This could, Jesus could be saying this now. Look at the words that we use now for the way that we worry. I've heard a few people say that fourth word here this week. Jesus, Jesus says, my soul is overwhelmed. You ever felt like that? My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And then he says, and I found this really endearing and really beautiful. He says to his disciples, Stay here with me. Not really ever seen it like that before. So I read it in this anxious light. Stay with me. Stay and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, Father, if this is possible, can you take this cup from me? Yet, not as I will, but as you will. And then Luke adds an extra detail. Luke chapter 22, verse 44. Being in anguish at this point, he prayed more earnestly. Maybe you know this voice, this, this verse. And he sweat drops of blood falling on the floor. Jesus, and I'm not trying to be glib or irreverent, Jesus was, it seems to me, worried sick. He was in a completely anxious state. He knows what it's like to be in real, real anxiety, real worry. But at the same time, as he's at his most anxious, he takes the cup. At the time when he's at his most anxious, he acts with the most love. This is our, this is the gospel hope for people like me and people like you who worry. It's not just words of advice. It's not just logic and reason. It's somebody that can look us in the eye and say, yep. Not an empty, don't worry. It's a, yeah, I know exactly what you're going through. So Jesus says to us, knowing that we will worry and we'll try not to worry tomorrow, he says to us, don't worry. This is the gospel for worry.